Welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a series of podcasts helping you produce performance on purpose. For more information, go to our site qedod.com forward slash podcasts. We hope you enjoy today's episode. So today I'm talking to David Carey. Now I've known David for, for some time now and uh, he's made a life change recently. And uh, David, how would you describe what you do now? Tell me all about it. Well, Russell, I provide tailored um, training interventions for professionals who want to accelerate their career options, um, want to go for that promotion, want to actually get to the job of their dreams. Um, what I noticed during my career um, there's quite a market for people to give them a little bit of help, a little bit of support, to give them the right type of training so that when they come to interview, when they come to interview for the job that they really desire, that they put their best self forward. Um, I'm finding a lot of professionals, um, I mean, it's a very, very competitive market out there. Um, figures quoted recently, CIPD reports have shown there's between 70 up to 100 applications for each role, each posted role. And many people actually finally get through the process and they've actually offered an interview and they don't approach that correctly. So I teach them how to approach that ahead of the interview date. And that's amazing. And it's amazing when you think about it because you'd imagine, you'd imagine that's just sort of common sense, wouldn't you? You, you would imagine that, Russell. But I've, you know, I've sat down alongside a hiring manager. I've been a hiring manager for a number of years, a number of organisations. And I've been absolutely flabbergasted how people arrive at an interview and they seem like a rabbit in the headlights. Yeah. They're so unprepared. They've not asked the questions uh, of the hiring, uh, the recruitment company or the, the recruiting department about what format the interview will be. And there's a bit of neuroscience here. That if you're uncomfortable about the format, you don't know what you're going into. You're walking into a room and you see three people across the table. Um, I, I would broker you'd never actually be your best self. Right. Even people who are winging it, because there's some of the people in the world who do like to wing it, aren't they? And, I, and, and I've seen, you know, people yes, who are brilliant right. at winging it, but that doesn't work for everybody, I suppose, is it? No, I think by and large, um, the, the wingers will, will get through, and, and possibly with a, a slightly um, uh, a hiring manager that maybe isn't on their game, they'll they'll pick the winger out of the out of the uh, out of the group of people that they've interviewed that day. But the job really, the whole purpose of the interview is to pick the best candidate who's best suited to the role. And I know on paper there have been some great candidates come through, but they've underserved themselves in the room. They've you know, not provided proper and full responses for I'm going to say, to, uh, to the interview questions. They've just not conducted themselves well in the room. Right. Some really bad body language signals, and therefore they weren't taken forward for the role. And even though my paper might have shown that the winger, if we're going to call that person the person that's uh, chanced themselves all the way through it with a little bit of uh, glib talk and whatever, um, they get offered the job. Um, unfortunately, a little bit down the line, the hiring manager probably is regretting that. Mm. So, so David, I, I can tell by your accent you're an Essex lad. Um, so how, did, how on earth did you get, how on earth in your career have you got to, from, from the depth of Essex to doing what you do? What's your, what have you done in the past? Okay, um, I mean, my career focus the last 10 years has been around the HR and L&D, uh, Learning and Organisation Development. Um, I'm a chartered member at the CIPD, achieved that. I'm actually studied my chartered fellow uh, position. 
Uh, I actually sit on the local CIPD uh, branch committee in South Essex, uh, organising events for, for members in this area. Um, so my career has been in a number of private and public sector organisations. I've worked as a, uh, as a permanent manager, but also did some interim work for, for a while, mainly in the London area. In this part of Essex, we're slightly um, short of larger organisations where my, my typical um, uh, employer would, would be in the larger sort of organisation field. So I've worked in London for a number of years um, in a variety of organisations. Um, I sort of became the go-to person um, for learning and organisation development in running those teams, sort of the go-to person to help out with the interview process. Right. Um, it started with me developing a training programme to accredit managers so they could interview with their HR sitting next to them, but actually morphed into something a bit bigger than I expected, uh, if I'm honest, Russell. I then became the, the default guy that would make up the panel, um, that would keep the manager um, in rain, make sure that the application pack reflected the job, make sure that the interview questions reflected the job role, um, make sure that the, inter the manager would lead the interview and make the final decision. But there was a bit of a, uh, a sanity check on that with either myself sitting next to him and or uh, another person from his area yeah. or their area. So in doing that, that's why I saw so many people come through that when, I, when we were shortlisting, we thought, we're a great candidate here. And then suddenly they came to interview face to face and they were a shadow of their, their CV or their application form. Right. Um, and I'm, and I'm and guessing, I started to feel that... And I'm sorry, can I just jump in there? So are you, when you're saying that, you're not always talking about external applicants. I'm guessing you're talking about internal applicants as well, are you? No, there's, and there's a real mistake here, Russell, that, that there's, there's always a job being sorted out for someone internally. And, right. and I, I would say, by and large, if you said, if you um, sat in an interview reception and, and fiction, because this never really happens like that program on Channel 4, the job interview, you never have everyone in the interview um, reception waiting there together because otherwise someone's going to be waiting three hours for their interview. Yeah. Um, but, but if they're all sitting there together, if they knew that someone was an internal candidate, they'd immediately think, I'm not going to get off the job. Right. And yet, I, in my experience, it's the opposite. The internal candidate has to work harder. There's, um, whether they know the hiring manager or not, the hiring manager will have made inquiries about them, and he or she may have found out things they just don't like about that person. They may even have a perception of that person's team that's not that healthy. Similarly, um, uh, and, and in parallel with that, on their application, they'll mention things that they've done, and they'll have to substantiate what they've done against those, those um, questions or whatever. And when they come to interview, they, all, they will almost sort of think, well, you know that about me anyway, so they won't actually say it. And of course, there is a classic in the behavioural competency interviews. If you are asking a question as a hiring manager and you expect a response, you'll be rating that response. You'll be giving it some type of mark, maybe out of five out of ten. So if the interviewee, if the candidate doesn't fully articulate what they did to demonstrate that behaviour or that competency, what their part in that was, it can't be marked. So I always say when I train people, You've got to say it all. If you don't say it, you won't get it marked, and therefore you won't get the job. Right. So that's interesting. So, so you've worked as a hiring manager. You've trained people who are hiring, and now you're working, yeah. sort of training people who are going through the hiring process on the other side of it. So, yeah. as a hiring manager, what are the sort of mistakes that you tend to see applicants making? Well, the first thing is they're not prepared for the interview. They've never. Um, you know, they get offered a date and time and they accept it and 
I come along to the interview and they're really dressed well or sometimes they're not dressed very well at all because I haven't asked about a dress code. But they'll maybe arrive in the interview room, Russell, a bit flustered. And the reason is there was a, a task given to them ahead of the interview. And it could be a very simple task like, here's a report, can you prepare a summary with no more than 150 words? It could be something very simple like that. Very simple, I call it an intro exercise. And because they never asked a question about a pre-task, and they never brought their glasses along, yeah, they couldn't do it properly. So they arrived in the interview room flustered. Right. Uh, they just expected a cosy conversation, maybe. And, and, you know, as much as I say an interview isn't an interrogation, it is a business meeting, you've got to be prepared for every eventuality in a business meeting. You know, bring on a notepad and a pen, pencil, so you can make a note of the questions, so you can make a note of your responses, so when you give back your response, it's a full response. And I'm guessing from our perspective in the resilience world, as um, as an interview, someone who goes for a job, you're not going to get everything you apply to. So, so what do you, what do you how you know how do you sort of help people get over the sort of rejection, the job they've always fancied, they get through the final two, or whatever they might do, and then they you know they crash and burn, or they don't get it, or whatever. How how do you, how do you help them with that sort of idea? Well, that's that's a very interesting area, Terry um, Russell. As, as a guide came to my mind just as I was speaking about, um, I used to give feedback to unsuccessful candidates, particularly the internal ones. That was sort of given to me as well. The hiring manager couldn't get his hands dirty or her hands dirty. Give it to the HR LNOD board, he'll give the feedback. And some people were absolutely crestfallen that they didn't get the job, particularly internal candidates, as I said. There is the expectation that they'll be absolutely just fly through and get the job. Well, the honesty is they wouldn't put that through a whole application process. If they thought someone was good enough to do the job, they would just get him over into the team or her over into the team. But when you, I gave feedback to those people, I tried to do that face to face, they generally were quite crestfallen. It was like, you know, that job was now wrong for me. I aced the interview. I've had all those things said to me in the past. Yeah. But I guess what, what, what I say to people is you've got to keep believing in yourself. It really is that simple. And, and you know, if you don't believe in yourself, you're never going to get another hiring manager to believe in you because that despondency, that negative um, uh, thing that pervades you after you've had, you know, a, a, a reverse, you know, bad news as you see that, that you didn't get the job of your dreams. If you take that into your next interview, you'll be immediately marked down because no one wants to hire someone who's negative. Yeah. No one wants to hire someone who's despondent. Because a month's time, when I've hired you, and you're, you're down all the time, and now you've made all of my team down, yeah. I've got a real big problem. Yeah. So how do you get people to act as if they're not down? So how do you get them to, I mean, I know it sounds a weird question, but how do you get people to act as if they're positive, even if they're not? Well, we, we are, um, unfortunately, our body language does give away a lot. We must always, always be so in tune with our body language to make sure it's giving off that confident air. To make sure that, I mean, if, if a candidate came in, they sat and they slumped in the chair and they cast their eyes to the ground every time I asked them a question, I'm so unlikely to hire them just based on that body language. If they came in and they looked me in the eye and they were bright and they looked engaged and they sat on the end of the chair and they sat upright and they leaned into the questioners as they were being asked the questions, they provided good enough responses, I'm much more likely to be employing them, much more likely to be making the job offer. And it really is, that, that's the fundamentals of it. It is about your body language providing that, that sense of engagement. 
engagement, that sense of interest, that sense of confidence. So you're saying that the, um, even if you're feeling off your game, it is possible to act as if you're on it? It's, it's possible, it's not easy. I will be honest with you, Russell, it's not easy at all. But you know what, you're on a hiding to nothing if you show up looking dour, looking doomed, looking down, and your and your whole body language uh, actually changes the tone of your voice as well, and some of the words you say will be on the more negative side. Yeah. You must think positively. It's, interest, it's, interest, it's interesting, sir, because in our, some of our resilience training, we talk about um, you know acting as if you're confident, because confidence is very attractive, isn't it? And if, yeah. you're, if you're appearing confident, if you look relaxed, people are more likely to believe in you and trust what you say. Yeah. And, there's, and a, there's, there's an interesting TED talk called something about um, power poses or power positions or something. I don't know if you've come across it. It's quite interesting. Um, there's, a lot, there's a lot of academic sort of snobbery about it. But it's got some quite useful stuff. Um, I don't know if you've ever come across that. It might be worth having a look at. Not that particular one. That's, that sounds very interesting. I will look at that. And I have looked at a number of things on YouTube about this. And I mean, there is a whole science around body language. And, and Alan and Barbara Pease wrote some great books about it uh, a while ago. Around, you know, uh, unfortunately, some hiring managers try and become neuroscientists. And they'll see someone walk in the room. And if they sit down and cross their arms, they'll immediately assume they're being defensive. And it isn't always that way. They might just be cold or or maybe they've just spilt their coffee down the front of their shirt and they're trying to cover it up with their jacket. Um, you know, so you have to calibrate the body language, but by and large, if someone walks into an interview room and the panel is sitting there and they looked and act confident in the first 10 seconds, 20 seconds, and they sit down confidently and look engaged, they're on a really, they're on a roll. They're on a, in a really strong position rather than if they walked in with a grumpy face eyes down, didn't greet anyone, and just slumped in the chair. I think people forget, don't they, that actually when you're hiring, it can be, I don't know how to put this, I, we could use the words deadly boring, couldn't we? And <laughs> sometimes yeah. it can be really, really interesting. And, and, and a very interesting candidate is something that's, well, it's really refreshing as an interviewer to come across, isn't it? Well, they're, they're energisers, Russell. I mean, I've, I've sat and done six, eight interviews in a day, and it really is tiring. Yeah. And... Um, you know, if you're saying you've got 45 minutes of face-to-face -face and a 15-minute write-up per, per person, you really haven't got any spare time there, you know, to, to even, you know, have a coffee or anything. So when you get someone that de-energizes you that comes in the room, you're immediately marking them down, even subconsciously marking them down. But someone comes in bright, breezing, maybe wearing something that's unique as well. I always say to my clients, you know, wear a bright tie. Wear a, a brooch or something. Wear something. Wear some colourful shoes. That some, something. When the interviewers are talking as a panel later, do you remember so and so? You know the one with the, the blue shoes or whatever it was. Do something to stand out. Yeah. yeah? yeah. Um, part, part of the thing uh, about being resilient as well is is managing your expectations. And we sort of touched on this a little while ago, Russell. Well, I think it's important we return. You know, if you're going to develop your career, you really need to be persistent. You need to be you need to expect to make many applications for a number of roles. Right. Yeah? yeah, You need to expect to prepare for many job interviews and expect many rejections. What some uh, career developers don't do is if they don't listen to the feedback or take action on the feedback they get. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, that leads them into thinking, well, I don't know what I'm doing wrong, even though they have been told what they could correct to, to make it a bit better. So... They need to manage their expectations up front. It's a very, very competitive market out there. 
with so many applications for each role, and, and, and also managers are so time poor that are, that are hiring, they may make a wrong decision. You may have been the right person, but you know what, you just didn't get your point over at that time. That doesn't make you a bad candidate for the next role that comes on. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's, um, you know, we talk a lot about um, you, you've got to be, you've got to be determined. You've got to, you've got to push through. You've got to do the work. Um, you've got to have the right. It's interesting you talk about expectations because yeah. I think you're right, aren't you? There's, uh, I, I, I'm a big fan of Mark Kermode, the film critic, and he often talks about. Yeah. I know this sounds weird, but he talks a lot about his review of the the film is nearly always based on the expectations he has. And so yeah. he'll say, I've got really high expectations of something, really looking forward mm -hmm. to this one, and they let you down. And it's interesting when you go back to saying about the, the internal candidate, we're really interested in talking to Jimmy because we've known him for 50 years, and they let you down because they could never, almost never be as good as the person that they thought they were going to see. And, it's, yeah. and I yeah. suppose if you think you walk, you're going to walk in and you, you're going to go to an interview, you're going to breeze through, it's going to be a piece of cake. You know, you, you're going to be sadly lacking, and it also leads me on in the resilience thing about welcoming feedback. It's really, you think, and it's tricky, isn't it, getting feedback out of organisations? They're not very good at giving it to you on the most times, are they? No, so many, so many hiring managers sort of default. So I'll give it to HR and have to say something wrong, and the next thing you know, it's we're in the employment tribunal. Yeah. Well, the weird thing is, you've got to be employed to be taking someone for an employment tribunal. Um, what what I will say to to my clients is is, and this is this is really important actually. So I, don't ever take the rejection personally. Yeah. yeah, it isn't really a rejection. You just didn't get first place that time. Yeah. yeah, it's so easy when you're seeking jobs out there, whether it's internally or externally. Those arenas, the job seeking and the interview arenas, if you call them arenas, they're really overpopulated. Yeah, yeah? yeah. And, and we hear that on the news. You know, we're at the highest rate of um, uh, employment for many years. Um, but you know what, people are moving around jobs, but for every job that's up there that's posted, there's 70 to 100 applicants for that, yeah? And it's so easy to get lost in the crowd. And that isn't a fault of yours, it just is the system, the way it works, yeah? Yeah. I always say your time will come, yeah? Your time will come, but you need to be resilient and you need to be persistent as well. Yeah. Don't go, well, I've had enough with that lot. You know, they've rejected me twice now. So what? There might be a third job in a totally different department, and no one talks across departments, so you could apply for that and easily win, uh, get through to that job. Yes, it's interesting. It's that expectations and not giving up, isn't it? But, and it's interesting to say about persistence, but you've got to be realistic in your persistence. Because yeah. I remember hearing someone advertise, you know, interviewed on the radio saying, I've applied for 650 jobs. And he said, I've applied for jobs as a, a doctor, and as a bin mm -hmm. man, as a this and a that and the other. And I'm thinking, well, there's very few people who in a job apply for a job as a doctor and a binman who are going to be qualified for both. So you've got to be, you know what I mean? It's, you've got to be. I remember also someone who's a he was a qualified company secretary and he was applying for jobs as a taxi driver because his wife was worried he was going to be out of work for too long, and yeah. and they're finding it hard against all the other qualified people to get a job. And instead of focusing on what he was good at and what he wanted to do, because you, mm -hmm. there aren't a thousand jobs out there for you, are there? I think that's an interesting point you're making. Your time yeah. will come means. There's a job out there for you, and if you're applying for everything indiscriminately, you might miss the one that matters, mightn't you? Yeah, I always say to people, you've got to be really targeted. You've got to really be focused on, on either organisations or job types, and really work that that field, really work that hard. I mean, so many there's so many things that came on mind, Russell, that can can come up. I mean, I've sat in shortlistings before with a hiring manager, 
and she's looked at the applicants and, and one or two were actually better qualified than she was in that particular field. Yeah. So she actually wouldn't interview them, she took them off. So um, even though her, her, her advert said she wanted people in that, that, that level of qualification, because yeah. she obviously would see there was a threat once they got their feet under the table. Yeah. And, and, and I've also sat with hiring managers where we've had such an overwhelming response. Yes. Uh, particularly for the, there was an apprenticeship role. We had, we had 129, I think, applications from memory for it. And it was just so overwhelming. And the two of us sat with two desks full of applications to try and get that down. And in the end, we just did a random sample. Yeah. And we did two days of interviews. We interviewed 12. So what was that? Uh, was that 10%? Yeah, ish. We may be left on those tables some better qualified people. But, you know, it just was was one of those things. We had a real tight schedule to get back, to get the interviews arranged. We, You know, we actually were only going to interview over one day. We interviewed over two, so we had to change our calendars, all things like that. And we thought we did the best we could, but we were task rich but time poor. Yeah. And and as I say, some of those people were given uh, uh, weren't given interviews, who probably would have been better candidates. But it just is one of those things. Mm. So so you're an experienced guy. You've worked in commerce a long time, private mm. and public sector, and then you've obviously been resilient yourself because you've made a complete change of direction and become an entrepreneur, David. So. So how's that been? How's that been for you to really just change your life and to to almost at this stage of your life to really branch out in a new direction? Yeah, I, I will be honest with you. I've sort of done it in a way. I've done some interim management jobs. And, and one of the, um, I also did some contract work on a, um, uh, is a European social funding contract to um, help organisations that were going through tough times. It was called Response Redundancy. And as soon as they issued uh, a form to the local job centre, they were going to make more than 10 people redundant. We would go in and help HR with that process. And we worked with people who were um, at risk of redundancy to tidy up their CVs, train uh, on interview skills. I spent over a year doing that programme. Got a lot of fun out of that programme. That was the whole of the eastern region of the, of the UK. Mm. Um, so I worked, I guess freelance might be the right word for that. So I'm doing similar now in a way. Um, I was aided and abetted by the rail system that, that was preventing me from getting into London most days because of the, uh, the enhancements they make into it. So that, that ditching that commute was a really easy a sweetener for me that I don't have to travel an hour and 45 in the morning, hour and 45 in the evening yeah. to, to work and back. Um, I've now got an office locally where I can literally walk to it, which is such a pleasure. Uh, I'm here before I even know I'm here. Um, Setting up has been different um, in terms of it's a very, um, I've got an online business where I mainly train people via Skype, so I had to make sure my technology is all in place. I've employed some to do marketing um, using social media to market because um, things have changed since the last time I was sort of uh, working freelance when a lot of my work came through the Chamber of Commerce and people like that, those sort of working meetings. Um, I guess the thing is, I, I like to think that I've had a full uh, exposure to the business world. I've always been responsible for large sort of size budgets um, and for staff as well. And that grounding makes it easier to run a small business because those things come quite natural to me, budgeting for the particular spend, um, having you know, my profit and loss account or whatever. Um, but it's been absolutely fantastic for us with doing this and I'm so pleased. I wish I'd done it a couple of years ago. It's interesting because I remember when we were chatting a little while ago, we were talking about, um, I mean, you know, from my perspective, the resilience thing is a lot about finding your purpose. 
Mm. And, and you were saying to me that actually you're one of those people that really likes helping other people. And so to be able to work in a business where you can help people at the same time, it, you've almost recovered, you're, you're almost sort of touched, you know, back in touch with who you really are in a funny sort of way. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with that. Russell. Without being too yeah. new agey about it, you know, you know what I'm driving at, I think. Yeah, I get so much pleasure out of just working with people one-on-one -on -one and seeing them improve. Uh, I've done that in organisations when I've managed sort of L&OD teams where I've taken more junior people and sort of trained them up so that they were almost, you know, equipped enough to take the role that I left. Um, and I get... I get a lot of pleasure out of that, but I also get massive pleasure out of helping individuals. I, I very recently, just before I went away, had someone that desperately wanted to do a one-to-one -one practice session ahead of an interview. So much so, the only time we could do it was literally three hours before her interview. Um, luckily, it was locally, and we, we finished that session. She went, um, and she texted me literally the next day to say she was offered the job straight after the interview. And that gives me such a buzz. Those sort of things give me such a buzz that, um, you know, for me it was like, well, we're going to really work hard on this and are you sure you want to do it that way? And she was like, no, I need to do it. I need a practice before I actually go to a formal interview. Um, and I just get such a buzz out of helping someone get, get the job. That was the job of her dreams as well. Yeah. And I guess what's happening for her is that uh, what you said a little while ago was that you have to stand out, which you have to be different. And that practice with you helps her stand out because she can be better. She, well, you said something about she's not showing a shadow herself. She's showing her true self because she's practiced and prepared and planned and yeah. really acing it on the day. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I was quite thankful. We had a telephone conversation during the week and I asked her to find some more things out. And she then she was one that found out there was a little test just before the formal face-to-face -face interview. Right. Um, and she wouldn't have asked that question had I not said, have you done all the pre-work? Have you got anything, you know, are you, do you know everything they're going to do with you when you go that afternoon? So she didn't. Um, and also I asked her to check the dress code as well because, again, there's such a, so many organisations are real sticklers for that. If you arrive... You know, like you just walked off the beach. You're probably not even going to get the interview. Never mind, never mind the job. But you know, she made sure she got the dress code right or whatever. But she had some feedback before. But pivotally for her, it was all very well practicing in front of her, her partner. But she didn't feel she was getting anything out of it. Her partner was just saying, "Oh, you're great. You know, you, you'll smash it or whatever." And then the next job came around, and she didn't yeah. smash it. She wasn't great. She needed someone to actually give her some direct feedback, give her some direction to train her properly and get her on the straight and narrow about how to fulfill her best at that interview. Yeah, that's really interesting. So uh, earlier we were talking about the difference between internal and external applicants. If I was an internal applicant and looking for a job promotion, mm. would, would I be able to come to someone like you? Or are, oh. you, are you only for the external people? Are you giving them no, 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 very much so. Um, right. As a sailor, I think there are more traps for internal candidates that I've seen them fall into time after time. Almost like, well, I sort of know that hiring manager at the Christmas party. I spoke with her, so she'll she'll be looking out for me, and I'm going to get this offered to me. Well, do you know what? If she thought you were, she wouldn't even go through the process of advertising the job and going through an interview, a recruitment and selection process, interview process. She'd save herself time and money, and she'd come straight to you and say, "You're the person I want in my team." Because you're interviewing, because you've you've got to interview, doesn't mean you've got a gimme. Doesn't mean you've got the, you're going to get the job offered. You probably have to work a wee bit harder to to make sure you can actually really fulfill, um, really um, show that all the things that you've done, demonstrate all the things that you've done, 
and prove that you will be a good addition to that team. Right. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So I'm guessing that one of the things you could almost do is act like a bit of an agent because you could stay with a person, you know, over their career, couldn't you? And each one they're thinking of, you know, thinking of progressing or, you know, getting promoted, they could come to you and actually ask a bit of advice. Get It's that sort of external coach-mentor type relationship. Yes. Well, <coughs> excuse me, um, currently, Russell, I've organised things in, in programmes. I work with people, like my first programme is Foundation, um, where they're in their early parts of their career and they sort of think about going through the ranks. I then have a programme for middle managers, uh, executive programme, uh, my top of the range program is the mastery program that covers everything. But in all programs, I follow up after the um, about a month or so after the individuals finish their training program with me. And in that follow up, we talk about what's happening in the next 90 days for them. So by then, they're probably in their new role or their new organization. Um, and we, we set a plan out on that. Part of that plan could be some, some more career coaching for people, you know, because if someone leaves an organisation and they're a team leader, let's say, in the finance department, they've moved to another organisation to manage the accounts department, they'll be coming through a, a number of different changes to how business processes work, a number of changes about how they're going to manage the people that work for them in this new organisation. Um, and that might include someone that actually was the unsuccessful candidate going for that role as well. Yeah, we've, we've had that. So I work with them on, on a plan to, to for them to, to deliver a plan um, to you know improve their prospects. And that could well include some more career coaching. Um, I am setting up a, um, some type of executive network for people, uh, particularly people that are interested in accelerating their promotion prospects, whether, whether it's in their organization or externally. And I want to link up those like minds to create some type of masterclass or two around this. I think there's there's a whole gap there in the market at the moment that just isn't provided for. Um, but there is a lot, lot of like-minded people that want to improve their life chances through developing their careers. Yeah. And, I mean, for the people that don't know you yet or, or I mean, one of the things I'm amazed about you and so impressed about you is how quickly you've done this. You've you made a choice, you made a decision, mm -hmm. you set your business up. You've cracked on with it. You've executed much more than lots of people I know in this online space. And we know lots of internet marketing people who we've interviewed as part of this podcast who talk about the difference between those that do the work, take the action, make stuff happen. And you're an example of that, David. Really remarkable how far you've yeah. come in this online world in such a short period of time. Yeah, you know, for and I think you're one of those people that doesn't actually realise, you know, how much you've achieved in that time. So I mean, I look at your own resilience. I think you're an you know, real in interesting example to anyone who's thinking about making a change and you know really wants to 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 do what they really want to do. I mean, you're proof that you can that whatever your age, wherever you are in your career, you can sort of do what you want to do if you put your mind to it, can't you? Thank you for that, Russell. I, I agree. And to be honest, I, I did. In front of I did a blog a few weeks ago before I went away. There's a blog called Take Action. And, that, and that, that came from an idea I've had from ages ago that there are a lot of there are talkers and doers in this world. Yeah. And I, I've met a lot of talkers in my time and they're going to do this and do that and, and they don't actually do it. There are people that don't really talk a lot just get on with it. And, and I've decided, you know, I just want to get on with things and, and I just get such a buzz. Um, I had a client inquiry yesterday and I think we're going to, is it Friday we're going to do a, do a free consultation. But it, it, it's things like that. I really get a sense of, of helping people. 
um, and helping them help themselves as well. I'm not trying to build a thing where they're reliant on me. I'm trying to actually give them the tools so they can do the job themselves. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, you're right. Client recommendations is coming through. This person was recommended actually by someone. Yeah. And that's, that's I think that says something about that I must be doing it right. That someone's willing to recommend me, and people are coming to me on recommendation. And I think, um, and I think what's interesting as well is sorry, sorry, just blow smoke up your what's this, as they say in the states, but. And all you can hear from you just chatting to you. You're a normal bloke. You're a down-to-earth, pragmatic guy. He's got a fund yeah. fund of knowledge, and you know, you'll say it as it is and tell people what they need to know. But yeah, you, it's it's not it's not going to be too tortuous, isn't it? You're going to have some fun along the way, and it's going to be useful. Yeah, I mean, the worst thing that could happen, Russell, is someone is in the wrong job. Um, and if we yeah. work out, we're going to do over seventy thousand hours in in our in our job in our lifetime, work a normal yeah. lifetime or whatever. And those 70,000 hours shape our day, shape our evening, and I would say shape our overnight and our weekends as well. If, we, if we're in the wrong job or unhappy and upset, they'll shape our whole life. And one of the things I do is, uh, is a psychometric test uh, with, um, with individuals on the discovery program to make sure they're in the right role that suits their, their, comp- their behaviors, that suits their, um, their values. And I, I was amazed a while ago we had someone in totally the wrong role. She knew she was anyway. And, and it was like a real light bulb moment saying, I'm just in the wrong sector. Yeah. So she's now replanning her career and got into another, another sector. And wouldn't it be a shame if, if that individual and so many other individuals were stuck in the wrong job forever? Yeah. You know, all they need to do is put a bit of investment in, of the, in themselves, a little bit of time, a little bit of money to actually find the right role, get a bit of career coaching, get a bit of career training to fulfill that, get that job offered to them, and then the rest will be so much happier. Yeah, it is interesting, isn't it, how we tend to underinvest in our own futures um, mm. because we're so busy being parsimonious about the today. And and actually, if you don't invest in your own futures, who, who are you going to invest in other than yourself? It's, it's very old, isn't it, this whole idea yeah. of personal development and, you know, it's too expensive. Well, what can be too expensive it's just oh, it's oh, just your life you're talking about. It's weird. I've seen that in organisations, Russell. Sorry yeah. to cut over you, but when I used to run LND departments, you know, I go out to managers to say what your training needs. Now my team's fine; they're all trained up. I'm like, really? Yeah. Okay. And you talk to the individual members. They said, no, he, he doesn't believe in training. Yeah. I'm like, mm, that's a shame, that because <laughs> I've got this pot of money, you know, to allocate to develop the staff so that they're fit for tomorrow and the day after. And I've had that conversation so many times with, with managers who are, for some reason, they don't buy into the L&D bit for themselves and therefore their teams, they're blocking them. Yeah. Um, I think people are getting a little bit more savvy now. I do sense there's, there's a lot more online content, yeah. which, you know, has, it has its market out there. There's a lot more opportunities for people to actually do some self-development. Um, and and why that continue, because, you know, I really want people to fulfill their potential and get to that job of their dreams. So, you know, look why they continue. Brilliant. Well, look, David, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do it? Um, I'll give them my email address. Uh, well, I'll get, on, the, on, the, on my website, there's a contact me uh, button there, and there's, if you want a free consultation, there's a little calendar there. You can book in a date and time that's convenient with you. Um, that's uh, www.interview-training.co.uk. But please pop me a note via david.carey, that's C-A-R-E-Y, at interview-training.co.uk, 
and I'll be happy to respond. And I think we can find you on Facebook and you've got webinars and LinkedIn as well? Uh, yes, I'm on Facebook. Uh, interview training on, on Facebook is my, my company page or, or David Carey. Um, I have a Twitter account, David C Interview, that I tweet every now and then. Um, but I must admit, things have really picked up with the business and I'm a little bit tired in social media uh, in terms of doing those updates, Russell, because uh, if I'm training someone for like 90 minutes or two hours or whatever, <laughs> I know, I know what you mean. You're building a business now, and it's that uh, scarcity of resource that makes you, yeah. it, it certainly yeah. sharpens you up in terms of where you put your time every day. Definitely, definitely. David, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really inspired by the things you're saying, and I think um, um, if anybody's looking for the sort of help and expertise, you know, where they are in their lives in terms of career, and we talk a lot about career development in resilience terms, you know, if you know where you're going, you're more likely to be more resilient. If you've got the right job, you're more likely to be happy and confident and comfortable. So I yeah. think you, Sanders, you could be a person that could really help people on that route. So, oh, more than happy to, yeah. So I'm hoping people will get in touch with you, um, and we'll link to you in our show notes and such like, and uh, I can only thank you so much for giving us your time today, and um, I hope lots of people contact Thank you. Lovely. Thank you, Russell. It was a pleasure. Cheers. All the best, David. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Resilience Unraveled helps you create performance on purpose. And you can find out more about us and resilience at qedod.com forward slash resilience or listen to more of our podcasts. You can also find out more about our courses, our webinars and free resources like ebooks and paid for courses at qedod.com. Otherwise, we hope you can enjoy more of our podcasts in the future.